And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So you know, over the life of Startup Hustle, we've talked about so many different things. You've got SaaS, software as a service. You've got, we even did a whole episode to help define all of the many, many business acronyms that exist out there because, gosh, there's so many of them. And today we got a new one, MAS, M-A-A-S. It's multi-screen as a service. We're going to get into that and a whole lot more before I introduce today's guest. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. We have the platform and can help you manage the team. People, process, platform, lots of P's, lots of acronyms, and lots of stuff to talk about today. Go to fullscale.io to learn more about that, but we're going to learn more about who I'm talking with today. Joining me is Randall Crowder, and Randall is the COO of Funware. That's P-H, almost like fish. Wait, that's an F or is it P-H? It could be both. If you've listened, if you've listened to the, the show or read my book, you know that I'm actually a fish fan. So there you go. So Funware, P-H-U-N-W-A-R-E, and that's funware.com. There's a link for that in the show notes and a link to learn more about full scale, but straight out of Austin, Texas, Randall, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, I appreciate you having me. And, and look, it's not just another episode, right? I, you know, I hear it's the nine, 905th episode of this. Well, so well, may, no, we'll be way down the road. That was what that was what came out today on the day of our recording. Man, we're going to, I don't know, man, you never know. Dare to dream. Like well, man, maybe hey, nine, it's an honor maybe to be 920, on here. 935. I don't know. <laughs> you know Rand, I don't know enough about my own show to even tell you that. Um, so, you it's know, a lot. I mean, you've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of really interesting stories. I really appreciate, you know, being on here. And, and I love that this episode is sponsored by Full Scale because as we talked about before the show, uh, I'm going to reach out and talk about that. And, and as we kind of parlay into Funware, you know, we have a need uh, for scaling our own teams. You know, we have onshore folks that we use, but we need a broader team that we can scale. So we're going to have another fun conversation about that. Yeah. And I won't record that. <laughs> hey, I, I never say anything that I wouldn't allow to be printed on the New York Times or shown that's, on TV. So you can record probably anything really, I say. Probably really good practice. Well, let's start with this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your own backstory and what brought you to Funware? I know, I, I've noticed, according to my notes, you've You've had some interesting training and experience over the years. Yeah. You know, I, I always kind of say I've been, I've, I've spent a career collecting jobs I'm probably not qualified for. Um, so I've kind of been all over the place. You know, I got into the army, I went to West Point. So I got into the military uh, before 9-11. 9-11 was my senior year. And so I had no idea what I was going to get into, but went to my class uh, on the morning of 9-11 and a cartoonish colonel said, well, cadets, you're all going to war. So best laid plans went out the window and uh, spent a, a decent amount of my time overseas doing crazy things. Uh, came back to Austin, got my MBA here, 
And then I've been an entrepreneur ever since. Uh, I ran a large angel network called the Central Texas Angel Network, grew that to be the most active angel network in the country, started my own venture fund focused on healthcare, uh, was actually one of the uh, first investors and uh, helped organize the first one and a half million dollars to start Fundware back in 2009. Then I went off and spent a decade in venture capital, came back to Fundware um, and took over as COO about a little over four years ago. Uh, and I've been rocking this ever since and I'll rock this till the wheels fall off. You know, so many of our guests over the years have not been from publicly traded companies. And that's exactly what you guys are. You're on the NASDAQ, uh, P-H-U-N. They might be um, smarter yeah. than me. I don't know. Being public, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> I've, I've had that discussion with many people as well. You know, that, that, but, but with that, you need to be prepared that anything you say might actually end up in the New York Times. I mean, you are truly public. It's a different, I, I a think different I'm world. Eight different yeah. lawyers at this point. And I think all yeah. of them usually cringe when I start talking because they're like, hey, man, you talk a lot and you talk fast. And I don't know what you're going to say next. So let's be careful. I get that same warning from my whole team, my attorneys, my wife, and the wife people, might be the people I've never <laughs> even met. So yeah. Now, now what Funware is, is a multi-screen as a service integrated enterprise software platform for mobile. It's a mouthful. What does that mean? What does that even mean? <laughs> it's a mouthful. You know, when we started, it was a lot simpler. We actually built mobile apps for large brands transitioning from web to mobile. And back in 2009, nobody was doing that. Mobile was just becoming a thing. We actually helped draft guidance for the app store. We were one of the first ones to publish to it. Um, we built the first NFL app, the first NASCAR app, built all of Fox's mobile application portfolio. We did the Sochi Olympics. We've done the presidential election, hotels, hospitals, you name it, we've probably done it. But mass is this idea of taking all of that knowledge, all of that experience, all of that code history, and building a platform that would allow us to license mobile software the same way you would license a CRM from Salesforce. So no more custom one and done jobs. You license software from us, the end result is a mobile application and it's got more features, more stability, and is more easily scalable than anything you could do in a custom world. So, so much about building a mobile app or really uh, any app in the beginning is what I ref often refer to as framing and plumbing. Yeah. And it's like the least, it's the least exciting <laughs> and often most frustrating part for founders because it doesn't feel like you're really getting much done. You yeah. like, you want to see something, touch it, click it, deal with it. So is, I mean, essentially is, is that what you guys specialize in is, framing and plumbing as I would, as I would put it. You, you, it's so nice to talk to somebody. I mean, you live and breathe this and you have such a, a great team. Um, you know, that is exactly what it is. So, you know, we, I always say, you know, we're not one mobile application to replace them all. We're one mobile application to rule them all. You know, we are that foundational layer. You can standardize on us and then you can build all of the features and actually integrate features on top of it. So we actually just launched a uh, multi-million dollar deployment for a smart workplace solution. You know, they licensed our software. They wanted to build like the office of the future. And so we're up to about 27 different integrations for them. You know, one company does their parking, one company does their room booking, one company does lighting, one company does temperature. But when you download the app that they licensed our software to deliver, it all feels like one product. It feels like one seamless UI, one single login, one user account, but you have access and plumbing to all 27 of those different third-party companies, that's where we're really kind of transformational. We're giving people a platform to actually establish all of their operational discipline on top of. So where, where does the multi-screen come in? 
Yeah, great question. So that was actually, you know, we, we've always run, go back to this and sometimes, and, and I'm sure you spend some time thinking about this as well, just like positioning. You got Kodak out there that didn't mean anything until it meant something. And so, you know, do you go back and rebrand something? It was an early concept. I think it doesn't necessarily as much apply today because of the rise of mobile. You know, mobile, we live in a mobile first world that's quickly becoming mobile only, but we still need to recognize that there's all sorts of other touch points with customers. So if we go into a venue and we're making it a smart venue, that mobile might be what we do first, and it might be our direct point of contact with that consumer, but you're gonna walk by digital signage, you're gonna walk by sometimes, you know, you know, actually digital screens inside elevators, you might have an infotainment system in your car. There's all sorts of opportunities to create digital content and then display that in specific areas where a customer is most likely willing to pay attention to you. And so that multi-screen is meant to kind of capture that holistic thought about engaging a customer anywhere they are. I mean, that, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. Cause I think one of the things that will frustrate, it, it's amazing. You can have like a hundred thousand dollar car that you love for every reason, other than like the way your phone connects to it. Been <laughs> there, done it, man, done it. I literally took a Range Rover, gave it back because it couldn't stay connected to Bluetooth. I was it's, like, I love everything about this car, but you can't connect to my phone. I, I don't need it. It's and, how people live. Yeah. You, I mean, you hit on yeah. something so important. And I love, you know, the, the, the premise of the show, you know, when, when entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship is just, you know, I, mean, I think a real entrepreneur is just in your blood. You can't think of like living any other way. And, and that hustle is so integrated into that DNA. And I always tell entrepreneurs, like, you know, you have to understand, you know, get your stuff, you know, talk to customers, see how they live with it. Like, you know, I don't care what runs this technology. I just know when I click a button, my mom's on the other end. And yep. you really have to understand what are the use cases? What are people going to do? How are they going to engage with it? And really thinking about that, because we see the same thing all the time. And I, I was joking with, we were doing another smart workplace pitch with a Fortune 100. And they're and they are a technology company and the AV was just a total disaster. Like they couldn't figure out how to start it. They couldn't connect their computers. And I was like, you know, there's $2 trillion ideas in this world. One is probably cartilage because everybody keeps, you know, having orthopedic injuries. And the other is just seamless turning on of AV in meeting rooms that nobody can seem to figure out. And like Cisco is a major investor in us when we were private, we've had issues with them as well. So seamless connections and the ability to display content in a meeting, somebody's got to crack that code, whether it's a car or a meeting room. It, well, you're right. It, uh, it does. I have said myself, I'm like, aren't we a technology company? Why can't this should not be a problem. I think a problem that we need to solve is how to get everyone to show up to the Zoom meeting on time. How do we fix that? Because if you God, solve that, I'll come work for you. That's well, it. You get, you get eight people waiting on a call, and and you, if you know, all of a sudden you're four minutes late. I mean, you're wasting a lot of time. If you look at like your labor expense, you're yep. doing managerial accounting. You can almost have like another line item for wasted oh. Zoom time. You know, you're like shit. I 100% said this the other day. I was like, you know, there are some 30 minute Zoom meetings I have where I'm like, this is a three minute pop in if we yeah. were in the same office. Like, this does yep. not need to be scheduled. But, like, yep. and so we're, we're actually, we just built, uh, we just moved into our new headquarters in Austin. Um, it's like really cool. If you're ever out in Austin, if you're going out to Kerrville again, uh, you got to come out and check it out. So we call it the Fun House with a PH, of course. Um, but it's like a historic building, you know, historic home that we kind of retrofitted into an office building. Uh, but we're getting everybody back into the offices. I mean, there's just a, a level of camaraderie 
um, and a level of retention, quite frankly. You know, you people that have a relationship with other people are more likely to stick with those people. And the people that we've lost over the last, you know, year or two in the pandemic are people we hired during the pandemic who never met anyone. And so I miss that, you know, just being able to break bread, being able to talk quickly around a coffee machine, being able to pop in, just get some quick questions. You know, not everything needs to be uh, a meeting, but not everything needs to be a Zoom meeting either. So I want to roll the Wayback Machine back to like, before any of the funware stuff, I want to talk about West Point for yeah. a because you know for those of you that might be listening that aren't aware, I mean this is West Point is the Harvard of of military of, of the Army basically. Uh, it is not easy to get into, and it is certainly not easy to get through. Um, you know, I I I only have first one guy from my graduating high school class which was a long ass time ago at this point went to West Point and I remember talking to him afterward. I played football with him and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just was at a different level with that. What as what did you learn at West Point that you were able to carry over to entrepreneurship? Oh man, such a great question. And and it's funny because there's first, I will encourage everyone to go read, you know, I don't get paid to say this, but you know, Startup Nation is an incredible book on Israel's, the role service plays in Israel's innovation, their, their entrepreneurship ecosystem, because, you know, everybody in Israel has to serve, you know, they've really lent a lot of credit to that idea of service and what role that has played. Whereas the U S hasn't figured that out yet. You know, we don't know what to make of our, you know, servicemen and women. Like we don't, you know, a lot of them get out and they go get into supply chain management. They go get into security contracting. And it's like, no, what you learn in the military, is incredibly valuable if you understand how to apply it, if you understand what roles that leadership you know, has, what roles organizational development has. Uh, but even more importantly, it's perseverance. You know, Steve Jobs has that famous you know, quote about you know, entrepreneurship where it's just like, you know, the successful entrepreneurs just persevere a little longer. And I think that's what being in you know, any kind of shared pain, any shared, you know, and, and sometimes that's starting a company. For me, I got my first, you know, experience in two a days in football in Texas heat. You know, we were talking about the heat and humidity in Kansas City, same in Texas. Um, and it's that you're with a team, you're going through something voluntarily, and at any given moment, you could stop if you wanted. Your body's telling you to stop, your soul's telling you to stop, sometimes your family's telling you to stop, and you say, you know what? I have more in me, I have more to give, and I'm going to keep going. And then you go to somewhere like West Point, and it's even worse. You know, you got people yelling at you, and it's meant to try to break you. It's meant to try to break you down and then build you up in a different form, but a better form of your previous self. And then you can quit, but you don't. And your teammates, you know, your, your, the fellow cadets, you know, everybody's telling you, like, we got this. You know, you come together as a family, as an organization. Then you go to, like, you know, the Army. You, you know, I deployed. You know, now, now it's life and death, literally. Um, and I think all of these are so true and analogous to running a company. You know, the successful companies all were on the brink of bankruptcy. They've all had lawsuits. They've all had founders, you know, get killed or quit. And, you know, they've had scandal. And they just persevere. And I think it's so special to have had those experience in your life so that you know how capable you are. I don't think I've ever thought about it in that perspective, because as you were, you know, 
talking, I'm picturing, you know, you always see in the movie and maybe it's more of the Navy SEAL training. Cause I think that kind of get that, that seems to be the movie that's on more, Yeah, you know, that ring the bell, yeah. ring the bell. Yeah. All you got to do is get up and ring that bell, dude. And this ends, you can, you know, and, and I guess if you think about it, I mean, the same thing goes as an entrepreneur. I mean, you can get up and ring the bell, you can quit. And I, and I think that, well, that's what I wanted to ask. Cause I was, I was sitting here thinking, have I ever had anybody that's, that I knew went to Westport or West Point, um, uh, you know, on the show. And I don't think yeah. that I had, and I, and that's like a, a completely different level. It's like boot camp times a hundred. I mean, for, for my understanding, it's, yeah, it really is. And it's, it's, uh, it's a, a, a fully immersive experience that, I mean, it's college, but on a different level, I don't think I would have made it through that kind of college. I absolutely I, have no doubt you would make it. I mean, you can, yeah, and one of the good things I don't about know, being, dude, I've dropped, I've dro- dropped out of five colleges. You know, so. that, that, that's different though. There, there's something about, you know, college is a very individualistic experience. You know, the, what you to your question about West Point and the military. And I'm, I'm very much kind of a loner, but I mean, I love people. I love being social, but you know, I like walking my dog by myself. I work out by myself. Um, the military forces you into that. It's not me, it's us. And you always hear this, you know, in, in, in you know, any kind of war vet, you know, talking about, look, you know, I love the flag. I love the country. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm doing crazy things that sometimes win amazing medals and awards for the people around me. Um, and that's special. You know, you talk about the bell and the seal. So, you know, in Ranger School, we have what's called an LOM. So that acronym, which going full circle back to the beginning, military loves their acronyms. Uh, LOM is uh, loss of motivation. And so you literally, they always had a truck and you'd be on like a 20 mile march, you know, force march. And you'd have people just say, I'm done, throw off their bag. And they'd be like, oh, we got an LOM. And they'd get on the truck, drive back, you know, get a you know, nice meal and a, and a hot cup of coffee. And I remember, you know, just being in those experiences, it's all like a blur, but I remember, you know, marching through the Tennessee Valley divide on, you know, no sleep for, you know, 72 hours. And somebody had posted something on LinkedIn, uh, a friend of mine uh, named Scott, and he was like, yeah, I don't think he'll remember this, but I remember we were, we, I, I was, you know, on the brink of quitting and he was already carrying, you know, I was carrying a hundred pound rucksack and he was the gunner. And so he had another hundred pound rucksack of ammunition. And, you know, I, Apparently, I took it from him and I carried both rucksacks, you know, up this, you know, Tennessee Valley Divide so that, you know, he would make it. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like me. I don't even remember that. (laughs) But he says, no, I remember it as, as plain as day. And that's what these things do. These crucibles do. It's not just about you winning. It's about all of you winning and that camaraderie that comes together. And man, I see that all the time now in, in company building. And, and what do you do as a leader? You know, you going out, you know, the Philippines for, you know, 300 employees and having that touch point with people, you know, leading from the front, leaders eat last. You're the last you know, man to step or woman to step off the battlefield. These things are important. And I think, you know, leaders, not just in the military, but in all organizations have to understand that. Well, I agree. And, you know, I think that when it comes to being a leader, well, okay, you mentioned leaders eat last. I don't even eat lunch. I'm like, go, <laughs> you know, go. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep working. Yeah, and I got too much it's, to do. It's, it's, it's interesting, man, because uh, I, I see a, a fundamental shift in some of that occurring. And I had a, a really bright young man named Jake Bjorzeth, uh that's half my age here in Kansas City. And uh, he was on the show recently. And uh, we were talking about hustle culture and he, he goes, man, I'm afraid to say what I really want to say. Cause I might get canceled. 
because oh. in that in that era it's like it's like you get work shamed and i've had it happen in the startup oh. hustle chat like yeah. i was uh, in the philippines and i did really bad travel planning and i was there over easter i hadn't even thought about it <laughs> i was there on the easter sunday i'm clearly there's not a soul in the building and yeah. i took a picture and i was like you know what i'm gonna work today i'm gonna yeah. work today and i got man i got shamed endlessly i was, oh, I was yeah. setting a terrible example i was like hey man everyone just had four days off in a row because that's a different holiday over there like i didn't require anyone to come in but you know the more and more i thought about it i ended up making another post later that said you know i i out of the hundreds and hundreds of people that i've talked to on this show that have been wildly successful that have raised collectively billions of dollars and created billions of dollars in revenue. No one said, you know what? I did this part-time. Yeah, I did this. It, it was so easy. Oh, I can't yeah. believe this was so freaking easy. <laughs> the money, you know, I never heard it. Fell on me. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of being easy, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Let's talk about tech for a minute on the on the 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 trailing vapors of that you mentioned 2009 and so that was right around the time i actually first really got serious about full-time entrepreneurship i wrote about it in my book million dollar bedroom if you want to read all about it but you know those were wild times because that's yeah. so i often look at dates like that and when i when i uh recommend a senior developer to someone like in mobile i'll be like well this guy started when that was iphone 3 i believe <laughs> or maybe even two right in the cusp of that. So, so much has changed since then. And to give those of you perspective that might not remember that, that was when you actually, people actually had like a dedicated mobile site. Oh yeah. It wasn't even always an app, you yep. know, it'd be like mobile.fullscale.io. And now that's completely unheard of. Um, what are some of the big changes that, that, so, well, with that, if Funware was developing a platform for that, that's in the trash now. Yep. That's not even a thing. Yep. Where, ha, where have been, what have been the big evolution points when it comes to multi-screen as a service or the platform that you developed? Because yeah. really in the end, the great, the, the, one of the best and worst things about technology is essentially oh, what you're building right now, you're eventually going to throw away and rebuild a different way. And that's why we went to a platform, you know, as a service, I guess if we're being really honest, you know, there's another acronym that's even clunkier. It's lowercase M capital P lowercase A A S and it's, you know, M pass and it's mobile platform as a service. But really I think we're mobile platform as a solution. And so why I say that is it doesn't matter where technology goes. Everything that we do is modular. So every feature that goes into our mobile apps is modular and configurable. And that's important because every venue or brand that we work with is a little bit different. And so like, for example, we have a permissioning module. So every time, you know, Google and Apple decide to exert monopolistic control and change something about how you do location sharing or foreground versus background listening, we make one change and then everybody that's licensed our software gets it. You don't have to worry about updating your code or doing anything. It's over the air. It's done. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize about us is we also have the best location software in the world. And so we actually beat Google for Kaiser Permanente's business on our location software. So if GPS and satellites work outside, how do you find a mobile device inside? Because mass is all about helping brands engage, manage, and monetize their customers. But look, if you can't 
find somebody, how are you going to really engage them? So our location software allows us to take any signal strength inside a building, high low density, Wi-Fi, BLE, beacons, doesn't matter. And we can triangulate you and give a real time blue dot indoors, just like satellites can outdoors, but we're sub one meter accuracy, some one second latency. So that's huge when you're trying to like not get lost inside a massive casino or a hospital. It's huge when you're just trying to engage someone contextually, because that's really what we're doing. How do I get the right content to the right customer on the right screen at the right time in the right place in order to drive productivity or drive profitability? Hopefully do both. That's what Mass is designed to do. So we can give somebody a mobile application with that location software embedded, with analytics package embedded, with content management, you know, having API calls back to our platform. Everything works out of the box. It's all meant to be interoperable. And then when you say, hey, I've got all this other stuff, like I've got an electronic medical record over here. I've got bill pay over here. I've got telemedicine over here from a hospital. Cool. All of that gets piped in. We're a platform. And so some of it's our code, some of it's somebody else's code, but it all presents to the customer as one seamless solution. And that's what's called digital transformation. So it's no longer good enough to have a mobile app. That's to answer your question directly. That's the biggest change. Digital transformation is how you take all of that cool IOT, you know, internet of things that everybody heard about several years ago. And how do you make that usable? How do you take all the information in the virtual world, curate it, and then deliver it to customers through any screen, but likely a mobile device so that I can inform your real world experiences. That's gonna change everything. And that'll be table stakes in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think the location thing, you know, I just kind of went through this and sorry, Google, for what I'm about to say, but your, your, uh, your, your uh, maps really frustrated me in New York City recently. And, you know, I get it. So it can be a challenge. The buildings are tall, might not be able to see where you're at. I was just trying to get from my hotel to Radio City Music Hall, man. And I was like, kept taking the wrong turn or going past something because it wasn't updating quickly. Yeah. And it's like, and, and, you know, the thing is, it's like, I could have just like 10 years ago, I could have just looked at a map and I've been like, I'm like, like you did in the military. In the military, you didn't have a freaking, you didn't have a, you weren't sitting there watching your dot move up the street. I trained you all know? my You're soldiers like, with a compass and a map because I said, yeah. look, you know, any really good World War Three satellites are going first. And if you are dependent on satellites or technology, you're going to lose. And so we were always trained. Um, what do you do in an analog war? I might have done better with a compass, to be honest, because I, yeah, I was struggling with that a little bit, but yeah, um, you know, I, I wanted to do a little add on there with the platform as a service, the mobile platform as a solution. I like that too. I think solutions are a little better than service mm -hmm. on some days. Now, I think one of the things that's been a, a huge, you talk about the world of technology kind of rising to meet the needs is cross compatibility because yes. uh, you know you mentioned like i think you held up an android device a minute yep. ago when i saw you so i got an apple i'm one of the I remember, ones you know, well back well back in the day man it's like you you would have one or the other and, yeah. and i spend a lot of time talking to to people that want to work with us at full scale and i mean really it's it's amazing i still open people's eyes because they're like hey i want to build a mobile app okay well have you considered the platform you're going to use with that and they say well, I, yeah, I know I want to have a, I want to have an iOS app. Okay. Well, you need to, there's, there's things that can help you build in a way that you don't have to have two separate products running yep. parallel. And in 2009, that's exactly what you had to do. And, you know, yep. in the, in the years that followed, you, you, you remember how many, Hey, we have an Apple app. We have an iPhone app, but we don't have one that, 
and not an iPhone app or the other way around. And uh, that was really frustrating for technologists and, and still is on some level. And, you know, you don't need to deal with that. There's, it's much, it's much easier and more efficient to have one code base that can spit out two different versions. And, you know, there's multiple platforms that do that, that, you know, if people are building their own solutions and not using an actual you know, you know, platform. But I mean, that's, I mean, if you talk about early stage startups and preservation of capital and all that, like yeah. you got to go about this in a smart way. Um, we even did a, uh, if you're interested there, scroll down in the feed a little bit. There was a two part series I did with a guy named John Rake. That's all about planning your mobile app and, nice. and building it. And he's in that, that business. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to be considered. And, and the user experience is the key thing. And, you know, that's another thing that's changed as well is the native app isn't as native as it used to be, yeah. um, which it used to totally rely on running in your phone. And now they're kind of like hybrid in sorts, you know, yeah. like when you're on ESPN, the ESPN app uh, and looking at your sports scores, you know, it's relying on a direct connection to the internet. And yeah. then um, it does, it's from someone that travels, I, I have a love hate with location-based stuff because you know i'm in the philippines and i'm trying to get my local news and it's like telling me like what's going on in manila and i'm like okay so I, yeah i've got this like war of settings that goes on in my devices well, that, that, we talked about av and we talked about connecting to a computer that's a stupid problem to have and so we're you know we we, we address that in our platform because even just the privacy around it you think about your workplace you know and we've got some really interesting ip around this one thing we do really well in the location is just seamlessly switching between hardware so like we just launched at atlantis in the bahamas so it's like a 140 acre island in and of itself called paradise island five distinct resorts so we've done the entire island and so we have seamless indoor and outdoor switching so we go from satellite you go indoors you're going to go maybe back to wi-fi you go outside but under an awning maybe it's a beacon doesn't matter to the user it's just seamless and so you know that kind of you know switching is important but it's also for privacy so we don't store any pii any personally identifiable information you know when you go into the workplace you might want those location settings on for a variety of reasons but the minute you leave you want that to shut off and you don't want to, have to think about shutting that off that needs to happen autonomously same thing with traveling you know understanding what those settings are it's a silly problem to have i had that happen you know we just uh got back from a wedding in cabo and it's like for the next like week, you know, Yahoo still thought I was in, you know, Mexico. And I'm like, stop, like, I am clearly no longer in Mexico. Like, but you know, you're right. The, you know, there's technology will always, you know, be frustrating, but I think that's why the platform approach is important because, you know, you were talking about coding, you know, there's a lot of legacy. We're getting to that stage now where mobile is a little bit more of a, of a certainty. And now some of that old stuff does need to update. You said it very well, whether it's Moore's law or just a natural evolution of innovation, things change. You know, you can't, you know, if you're deploying to Android, you better be, you know, writing in Kotlin. You know, you're not going to be using Java anymore. If you're, you know, if you don't know what Swift is and you want an Apple, you know, app, an iOS app, uh, you better figure it out pretty quick. And I'm sure those coding languages will change. And so we keep all of our customers updated. They don't have to think about it. And I think that's going to be the power of platform approaches. You know, I could hire two Freds in a shed to build me a CRM. Why would I? I'm going to just license Salesforce or HubSpot and just focus on my business. People just want the solution. You know, we live in an on-demand economy with limited attention span. And so you just got to give people value. Don't, you know, over-engineer it. Don't try to show them how smart you are. Just delight your customers 
and everything will be great. And if you want to take it one step further, take moments of anxiety and turn them into delight. Then you have something that's a real winner. So one of, one of the big topics amongst just everyone is Web3. And, you know, I see you guys are working on some blockchain enabled data exchange. Uh, Let's talk about that. So what what do you have in mind there? And and where's the, where's some of the use case for that? Yeah. What's cool is like, you know, so everything we've been doing and talking to up until this point is this kind of idea of contextual engagement. How do I make every engagement between a brand and a consumer personal and relevant? And actually Kathy Mayer sits on our board now. She's a former CMO and CDO of Carnival. Uh, we were riffing with this uh, with her probably back in 2017. And it was all about like, okay, if what I'm doing to engage my customer is valuable to me, and it might very well drive profitability, I might be willing to pay them to engage with me. So think about that, like, you know, rewarded survey. I want you to you know, answer a question or tell me some more information about yourself. Think about it like rewarded video. I want you to watch this commercial or more, you know, practical. I want you to show up to your doctor's appointment on time. It's $150 billion a year problem in the US alone, patients missing their doctor's appointments or being late, 150 billion. That's a stupid problem to have. And so maybe I'll just incentivize them to show up on time. You know, I'll incentivize you to check a bag. And so we started with this idea of, okay, can we take blockchain technology? Cause nobody wants to use fiat to incentivize anybody. Let's use blockchain to basically deliver micro transactions at scale that are incentivizing engagement. You know, every time you click something, share something, like something, go somewhere, do something, you know, you're generating not only valuable engagement and awareness, but you're also generating data. And so all that data, we begin to collect that. And actually a lot of people don't realize this about Funware. We've got over a petabyte of data. Our platform at scale sees about a billion active devices a month. Early on in the history of the company, we had a hypothesis of, I wonder if we could create a Funware ID for every human being on the planet with a mobile device touching a network. Kind of laugh, but you know, you got to have a big audacious goal when you're raising venture money. And we raised $100 million as a private company. But fast forward to today, we've got over 15 billion Funware IDs. So we actually did it and we're actually in the process of doing it. And so we said, okay, if we're kind of a data company masquerading as a mobile company, how do we begin to activate that data? How do we make it useful? How do we make it something that could maybe usher in the next great transformation? You know, we help with mobile, we're helping with digital transformation. You're exactly right. Web three, this concept of decentralization is very new, but it's very powerful. You know, I, I kind of got in the habit of saying it's probably the single greatest innovation to reach the global economy since the Medici's commercialized double entry accounting. If it can be deployed successfully. That's a big if. We're not even close to that yet. So we got Fun Token, um, which is actually we're the first publicly traded company with a digital asset like this. It's actually on Uniswap now. Uh, it's about to start launching a couple centralized exchange law tokens first. Um, but we're working through that kind of incentivization structure with Fun Token. That's like picks and shovels. Then all that data being generated that we're managing, we want to turn that over to the consumer. We want to say, look, it's your data. You own it you sanitize it. And if anybody buys your data, it's your permission that they got to get. And if they buy it, you get compensated for it. So we have FunCoin as the sister token to Fun Token. There's actually a security token. It's a regulated security token. So we're the first publicly traded company with not only a utility token, but the first publicly traded company with a security token. That'll start trading on Securitize, which is a licensed ATS uh, later on this quarter. 
And so both of those tokens kind of working in tandem um, will hopefully be the foundation for a decentralized data economy. You know, Bitcoin proved you don't need banks in the middle. You can transact between two people uh, in a trustless manner. Someone's going to do that for data. You don't need Facebook and Google and credit agencies in the middle. It's your data. The brand only cares about you. Just right now, those data oligarchs are the only game in town. So somebody needs to just introduce a new model to say, not so fast. There's a better way to do this. And that's the start of every great entrepreneurial story. There's got to be a better way. Well, there's a whole lot of disruption. Yeah. A whole lot. That means opportunity. It does. It does. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, I think one of the things when it comes to crypto, Web3, all that is, is that's often grossly misunderstood, like trying yeah. to talk to my dad about what Bitcoin is. I'm like, this isn't <laughs> always new money. It's not like we're not necessarily like, I mean, sure, there are some, uh, there, there's a series that has been on HBO about the anarchists yeah. that I just decided to watch. And, you know, they're, they're hoping that, you know, Bitcoin takes down the entire world. No, the man has been the man for a long time and the man will be yeah. the man long after Bitcoin is more ubiquitous. Yeah. If I had a Ric Flair button I could hit right now, I would do that. Because he's, you know, if you want to be what, if you want to beat the man, you got to be the man. Is that how it goes? But, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, you mentioned the the double entry accounting. Uh, well, that was a great thing. The problem was, is the eraser still existed. Yep. So um, it became a little problematic. And yeah, that's actually, not, that's actually what I've done. Tried to explain to people that a lot of stuff with Web three and uh, the and the blockchain is just going to kill a lot of a lot of fraud and yes. a lot of bad acting and erasers yep. and things disappearing because unless you sh if it's on the right blockchain, I mean, you look at something like Ethereum. I mean, <laughs> you have to shut off the internet, yeah, and delete everything to get it to go away. And well, you know, and that's so the rub, though, right? Like it's like you know, and I try to tell people this all the time. You know, when when you feel like something just doesn't make sense. You're probably missing something. You know, I tell my mom this all the time, like, you know, cause like, you know, George Bush sent her baby boy to war and, you know, he got shot at and almost killed and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and she always likes to say, well, and there were no weapons of mass destruction. And I'm like, well, your hypothesis is probably wrong. They were probably well aware that there weren't, but they were using it as an excuse to achieve a different objective. Now, whether or not that objective was just or right, that's a totally different conversation. But you're assuming that they were like, oh crap, we made a mistake. Where we are, we've overthrown governments, we've overthrown countries. I mean, you know, the, the nation state that is the US is very good at what it does. And it's unlikely that we made that mistake. It's likely that we fed it to the public to justify forced projection of military into a part of the world world that, you know, we were losing airspace in Kuwait, we were losing airspace in Turkey. And oh, by the way, Saddam was a little crazy and his kids were even crazier. And oh, by the way, some people were going to make a lot of money along the way in the private sector. So there's a lot of different competing reasons for anything. Um, but, you know, people are pretty smart and, and people understand where the puck is going to head. Um, and the same thing will, will happen in a lot of different areas. But what, you know, I'm with you. I'm so excited about the possibility. Think about if the stock market, you know, T0 tried to do this. But if the stock market was on a blockchain, you get rid of naked shorting, dark pools, all sorts of things. And the cynical side of me is like, that's why it'll never happen. 
Same thing with elections. We could get rid of election fraud. It was just all in the blockchain. But like, how does that happen if the system is designed to protect itself? You know, a lot of people don't want radical transparency because they're cheating on the margins. Well, yeah, they like yeah, the gray yeah. area. They love the gray area. And so they don't want a, somebody to shine a flashlight on top of it. So I think the system will protect itself um, for a while. But as entrepreneurs, the more we can innovate and put models that are just undeniable, um, we can start chipping away uh, at that veneer. Yeah, and that's going to be an interesting transformation. Now, it's, uh, you know, here we are at the end of the show, and it's time to move on to the Founders Freestyle. It's the way I like to end my shows. I say my shows. I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle, as you are probably aware. Make sure you tune into the weekly shows with Andrew Morgans. He's going to tell you how to sell more shit on Amazon. I know that much. Uh, tune in with Lauren Conaway, who is brave enough to talk about all the stuff I'm not, <laughs> and join my business partner, and often co-host Matt Watson, who is probably going to be talking to somebody's CTO. Matt and I are about to launch a new eight-part series about the software development lifecycle. That's going to be fun and interesting. And if you get a chance, make sure to check out our Whopper 52-part series about Ooh. how to start a tech company. Yeah. You know what's funny about that, Randall, is that uh, so we much like software, we delivered that 52-part series two months late and over budget. Um, but I bet it was well worth it. I, I'm going to check it well, out. I, yeah, I, 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 who knows? Yeah. I'll have our, our team start thinking about that. There's so much well, to learn from that discipline. Well, well, speaking about trying to keep things on budget, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, and leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, there's a link for that in the show notes, and there's a link for Funware. Check it out. They got a lot of info on their site. All you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At full scale, we specialize in building long term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. Man, we, you know, you talk about needing disruption and fixing stuff. There's this massive shortage of software engineers oh. in the United States, but people have these nightmares with finding the right people offshore. And we just fixed all those problems, man. Love that. Built by founders for founders, man. So if that's you reach out and talk to people all the time. So here are the founders freestyle, uh, it's your freestyle, Randall. I, you know, the, here we here we end up at the end of these shows, and this time goes by quickly. If, I don't know if you can give advice. We've had people rap, recite poetry. Um, <laughs> it's a freestyle, man. You get to do whatever you want. Uh, so, how, how would you like to leave things off uh, about today's show, or anything else you like to say before I do the same? You know, I, I love you know, I love talking about funware. I love I love you know everything that we're doing because I think it really is going to be the future of how brands engage. Um, but when it shows like this. I mean, I think people, um, you know, anything that's, that's around entrepreneurship, you know, that, that's just a passion of mine. And so I would, I would leave it with just encouraging people to, to start, you know, to try, you know, I think, and it doesn't matter if you're young, old, don't let people tell you, you don't have the right pedigree or the right background or the right experience or the you know, right access to money. You know, none of that matters. You know, I think it was Tony Robbins that always says, you know, resourcefulness is the greatest resource and you have enough. Um, and sometimes when you're back against the wall, you're perfectly positioned to do something. And I think that's what I would encourage people. You know, we live in a generation now where content is at our fingertips. You know, you see people that will spend, you know, two, three, four hours, you know, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, motivational videos. I hope people watch this whole video 
but discipline yourself. Maybe watch less videos and get to work and, and really apply a lot of what you're learning. You know, take steps to make something actionable. Don't just watch it, get real jacked up, get more motivated, be like, I love that guy. That guy's kicking ass. I want to kick ass too. And then go, as Jim Carrey said, eat a sandwich. You know, book a meeting. Go, you know, jot down your ideas, you know, actually deliver something, get in front of a customer, do some research, you know, take actions to move in the direction of where you're headed because the world needs more people innovating. I mean, we need more people thinking about it. And then, you know, just think about your daily life, the friction that you have in your daily life. What could you do to make that better? Um, because I, I think it's the greatest journey in the world, you know, operating without a safety net, hopefully doing it with really incredible friends, sometimes family. I would recommend almost neither sometimes find someone you respect who has experiences that complement your skill set. Uh, leave the family and friends for you know Saturdays and the weekends if you have them, uh, but prepare not to have them. You know, prepare to work. Um, you know, till you think you can't work anymore, and then work some more and work some more and do it some more, um, and just don't quit. You know, you can pivot, but don't quit. And I think if you know you can figure out that formula to be you know passionate and authentic about what you want to do and how you want to add value and leave the world a better place. You know, entrepreneurship is absolutely uh, in your DNA and go out and do it. That's well said, man. That's well said. And I, I, some of that stuff, I felt like you're reading out of my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. I was, you know, sometimes you just got to jump and build wings. Yeah. And, uh, I think the key is it's a good idea to make sure you at least have access to the stuff to build the wings before you leave the ledge, but nothing's going to make you build, nothing will make you build them faster than the impending doom of hitting that Canyon floor. And, oh, yeah. you know, I I've spent, Oh man, you know, I'm 47 years old now. And I've kind of like, I mentioned having almost 300 employees. Only one of them is older than me. Um, so, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there too. It's like, I used to be the young guy in the room and now I can't yeah, make all my anymore. jokes I used to make. I, I've kind of, I'm trans, I'm transitioning into like the professor and I wear glasses <laughs> now and I didn't used to, but you know, one, there's a couple things from today's conversation that stood out. First off, it was, you know, half an hour ago talking about being at West Point and you, you know, you, you do reserve the right to ring that bell yep. and you can go travel to a safe space and a safe place. And you're probably going to have some really safe dreams and accomplishments at that point. Um, you know, overall, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, it is, I, you know, I actually, uh, uh, I share so many of, of my feelings and experiences, uh, through this show and also through the startup hustle chat group on Facebook. And I, you know, I did that recently uh, when I was in the Philippines just, and you know, my daughter had her braces put on and my wife sent me a picture and it, it wrecked me, man. I started crying, man. And I'm not a crying kind of guy. I mean, most people were shocked. They were like, well, Oh, so you are human. Uh, but you know, entrepreneurship is a, is a lonely venture and it's a ch it's challenging and you know like that's a time when it's like you know and, and don't let the toughest of the tough tell you so oh you probably cried at some point at west point you might not have shared it on facebook afterward but you know this is part of it and you know be it, it, to accomplish great things it often comes at, at a price that you're going to need to decide you want to make. Now, when it comes to your skills or ability, you know, you, you really did nail it. Uh, you know, I, everyone rewind two minutes and listen to what Randall said again, because, 
you know, I mentioned earlier, I dropped out of five colleges. Now, one of them was a top 10 business school, right? So I had actually, I was like my West Point that I started a business and I rolled with it, you know, but um, I let people tell me till I was about 25 that I didn't have the pedigree, that I didn't have this or I didn't have that. And it was all false. You know, I, you get to create your own path and your own journey. The things that you don't know, you're not going to know until you go figure them out. And you're in this golden age of free, like you got 905 episodes of startup hustle at the time of this recording, like literally a vault of how to do it all at this point. Like, I don't, like we struggle to come up with something new to talk about five years later. It's all free. It's all fucking free. You don't need a college loan. You don't need a part-time job. Like, but you, like Randall said, you got to quit doing the shit that doesn't ha- provide any value in your life and replace it. Just do a little tiny bit of it. I talk about that in my book, Balance Me. It's the replacement theory. Take the lowest value activities in your life and replace them with anything that moves you towards a goal in your personal, professional, or physical life. All three are huge wins, and you need all three to get to the top. And that's like what I was struggling with in the Philippines is I was missing my, you know, I had to pay a price to miss a little bit of my personal life. And, you know, and sometimes it's going to hit. I didn't ring the bell. I actually mentioned in that post, I am a soldier. I am a warrior and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fight the fight because I do it for my family. And that's, that's why I'm there. So, you know, it's really just comes down to how bad do you want it? And what are you willing to do to go out and get it? So get to work, get to work, go do it. And that's how I'm ending the show, man. I'll see you down the road. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.